All right, so this morning, as we look at James chapter 3, we're going to look at the importance of showing or demonstrating our faith. A big theme here in the book of James, and uh, I wanted to open up with an illustration, uh, just with a few well-known sayings. The first one is this. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this before, probably you have, but the proof is in the what? Pudding. Pudding. Yes, the proof is in the pudding. So, for example... Uh, some of you may think that you make the best uh, tiramisu that you've ever made, and, and anybody in the world will attest to that. But where's the proof when you actually taste that tiramisu? And I challenge you to find one that's better than Santos. Um, I don't know. You'll taste it, and you'll see that it is the best. Another saying that's well known, prove it. Prove it, right? Me and Hassan may go to the basketball court, And uh, he may say that he is better than me on the basketball court, but what do I need to say? All right, let's go to the court. Prove it to me, right? Let's let's go to the court. Let's play. Let's see how it plays out. Another one is this example. I think when I was in middle school, um, this was kind of one of those dumb middle school things I did. But me and this girl, I think we're on a youth trip. We were arguing about this plant that was before us, and she said it was poison ivy. I said it was not. And uh, we went back and forth and argued about this and said, okay, I'll prove it to you. I will prove it to you that this is not poison ivy. So what did I do? I went down, took a leaf, rubbed it up and down my arm, you know, back and forth and back and forth. And I said, look, not poison ivy. Well, I came back the next day and it was very much so poison ivy. (laughs) And I was miserable for a week at least. I think I had to get steroids to help that one. But in a a very similar way, in our passage, James is concerned with having us demonstrate our faith, to show it, to prove it. It's not just concerned with what we know, but also with what we show as Christians, as those who have been redeemed by Jesus, those who have been given a new life, those who have been made new creations in Christ, that we not just know things, but that we show it in our life. And we're going to see today that kind of the main point that that brings this whole passage together is this. Wisdom is proven by what it produces. So show it. So wisdom is proven by what it produces. So show it. So James, he first talks about human wisdom, and then he moves on to godly wisdom. And then he kind of talks about godly wisdom's fruit. For a little bit. So, we're going to look at those three points today. And first, we're going to look at this idea of human wisdom. So, human wisdom. And in our passage this morning, James, what he's doing is he's, he's um, essentially contrasting two different types of wisdom. And it's clear by the descriptions that they are opposites, they are on different pages, right? They are clearly opposed to one another. And they are opposites that don't attract. It's not like peanut butter and jelly. You know, they work pretty well together, right? We've been having a lot of peanut butter and jellies this summer, especially the kids that we've been hanging out with. Lots and lots of PBJ. Those things go together. But what it's more like is oil and water. Those two things don't mesh very well, right? They're two opposite things that do not attract. They are separate. So on the one hand, James says that there is godly wisdom, or as he puts it, wisdom from above. Wisdom from above. And on the other hand, there is human wisdom. And James calls that earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom, as it says in verse 15. And so first we're going to take a look at the negative, and then we're going to move towards the positive. 
So James begins by saying that if you want to know what type of wisdom you have or that you are showing, then you need to look at the fruit or the results of what it produces. And then you will know. Look at the fruit that it produces in your life and you will know which type of wisdom it is. It's like being outside in the woods and walking around and looking at the various trees and you come up on a tree and you look at that tree. Okay, it's got certain bark. It's got certain leaves and these kind of things. But you realize that that tree has a little pine cone. And the conclusion that you come to is what? This must be a pine tree, right? Because the fruit of that tree It shows that it is a pine tree, that pine cone. It is the fruit that told you what it is, and the same thing that James is getting at here. And so if you'll look at verse 14, it says this, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So how do you know if you have worldly wisdom in your heart? Like we said, look at what it's producing. Is there a bitter jealousy? a selfish ambition that you experience in the actions of your lives, in your interaction with people around you, with those that you love or maybe those that you don't love too much? Is your life consumed or even displaying bitter jealousy and selfish ambition? If so, he says here that it's not something for us to boast about or to brag about, but it's something for us to repent and to come to the Lord honestly and saying, I have been following human wisdom. Would you please forgive me, God? Please help me to follow your wisdom and not the ways of the world. But notice that what these fruits are focused on is what? These fruits are focused on self, selfish ambition, bitter jealousy. These are focused on self. And here, worldly wisdom or human wisdom says this, Focus on you and everything will fall into place. Focus on you and everything will fall into place. But godly wisdom says, focus on you and everything will fall out of place. Everything will fall into disorder and chaos as we will see here in our passage today. But why does James highlight these two fruits over others? and portray them kind of as a gateway into a lot of different other types of sin and evil. Why does he bring these two things out? Well, I think what it is and what's going on here is that these two fruits, what it does, they fundamentally undermine and go against the two greatest commandments that God gave us. And what were those two greatest commandments? Does anybody know? Yeah, love God and love your neighbor, right? Love God and love others the two greatest commandments that God gave us. And these two evils, these two fruits, they fundamentally undermine those two commands. They take godly wisdom and turn it upside down and distort it into human wisdom. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be what? Disorder and every vile practice. So where these things are, they're not going to be alone. They're going to be a lot of different types of evil. Think about, for example, a biblical example, Romans 1, right? When it starts talking about those that have decided to say, God, forget you, I'm going my own way, and see what happened. All types of evil. You read that passage and your heart cannot help but being broken. And then you look at the world around you and say, oh, yeah, that's in my world. That's in my, in my family. That's in my life brokenness. 
Or I, I've been watching um, some of the Marvel uh, uh, series there, and, and it, you think about a city like Gotham or Hell's Kitchen, right? Gotham for Batman and Hell's Kitchen for this new Daredevil series. These, these cities that have been broken and that have been described as just filthy and wicked in their very core. Every city is like that. It doesn't matter whether it's Atlantic City or the most rural town in Pennsylvania or wherever else it is. Because where these things are, disorder and every vile practice is. When we focus on ourselves, we need to see that there is chaos that follows, evil that follows. And that's a promise. Verse 16 says this, there will be, there will be. Not there may be, but there will be. When the world says this is wise and smart and will produce great profit or reward, we as Christians need to watch out. When the world tells us that these things are good and right, we need to be careful. James tells us that this wisdom is actually not wisdom at all. It's false and it's dangerous and it will hurt our lives and it will hurt our families and our people and our city if we follow this wisdom. Let me give you a few examples. Worldly wisdom says, save now and play later. Save now and play later. Yet how many lives of the elderly are in shambles as they wasted away in nursing homes, built with all the worldly pleasures and state-of-the-art care while they feel empty and useless and hopeless. Retirement didn't turn out to be what they slaved all their lives for. They thought, I have the dream that one day I will be retired. I'm listening to the world's wisdom. One day I will be retired, and it's going to be a great retirement. I'm going to work hard all my life, and then I'm just going to live it up. And it wasn't that. Worldly wisdom says this, an opposite way, play now and forget about later. That could be the mantra of our own city. Play now, forget about later. Yet how many miserable souls drown their sorrows in alcohol, drugs, prostitution, even death because they took their paycheck to the casino and they did what? They put it all on red. They were hoping for that what? That quick, easy payout that's going to make all their problems go away. This is not just theoretical, guys. This happens. Because why? The worldly wisdom that says, play now and forget about later. One more. This one's maybe a little tougher to hear. Worldly wisdom says, get an education, a job, and tons of cash, and all your problems will go away. Let education be your savior. Let jobs be your savior. Move away from the city. And yet how many times have we watched from afar and even up close those that have gained the whole world and yet lost their souls? Those who have gotten that job, those who have gotten that education and went on to be successful in their careers, and yet what? They are just as miserable as before because God is their, or money is their God, their education is their God, and it couldn't deliver what it promised. It just couldn't deliver what it was promised. Everything they fought and gained for, realized, they realized that it was never even worth it. How many people in our culture, whether it's the rappers or the politicians, the movie actresses, the Wall Street investors, you name it, on and on and on, have taken this worldly wisdom and ran with it. 
Let me read to you a quote that, uh, that's kind of talking about this. It says this, The greatest tragedy in life isn't pursuing something and failing to attain it. The greatest tragedy is pursuing something, attaining it, and then realizing that it wasn't ever worth the pursuit. I read that quote in college, and that was haunting and yet powerful. And if we follow the worldly wisdom, the ways of the world, how many of us will go down that path fighting for those things, scratching for those things, sacrificing for those things, and realize it was never worth the pursuit? So a question for us. What does the fruit of your life show about which type of wisdom you are following? Look at your own life. Ask God to help you. Ask those around you. What does the fruit of your life show about the wisdom that you are following? Does it show that you're following this human wisdom or godly wisdom? Man, I'm convicted so many times when I'm faced with a, a, a decision that I need to make. Maybe it's a big one, maybe it's a small one in my life where I need wisdom and how quick I am to say, I just need to figure this out. Peter, you got this. You can just figure this out, make a decision, and go with it. But what I'm doing, I'm turning on myself. I'm saying you can figure this out with your own brain, with your own mind, with your own life experience. You can just figure this out and roll with it. It'll be okay. But many times it doesn't turn out that way. It's so subtle. Well, thank God that he doesn't leave us there with the bad news, but he turns also to the opposite of human wisdom, which is godly wisdom. And we're going to look at verse 13, uh, but also verse 17. In verse 13, you'll see we are given the command to show godly wisdom. And then in verse 17, we are told actually what it looks like, okay? So let's read verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So notice he's, he starts out this passage by saying, not what is wisdom, asking the question of what is wisdom, but he says, who? Who is wise among you? So he's interested about specific people. Who is wise among you? And he's not just interested in people saying, yeah, James, I, I, I'm wise. I'm wise and I'm understanding. I raise my hand. But what is he concerned with? He says, I want you to show it. James says, show me. Show me that wisdom. I'm not interested in people who say they're wise, but people who actually, by the way they live their lives, prove it. By the way that they live their lives and the fruit that comes for it. I think the NIV makes it really clear here when it says, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. See, wisdom is proven by what it produces. So show it. Just like the peach tree that's in the front of my yard, the way in which I know it is a peach tree is that it produces peaches. Now this year wasn't a very good year for the peaches. You can ask me and Santo about that. It was kind of some fungal rot thing that made the peaches not very good. And then those squirrels, they just come after those peaches. And you just want to take a BB gun and just take them out. But we had some good peaches. We did have some good peaches. But as we had turned our attention back to God's word, verse 17 actually describes to us what this wisdom looks like, right? So he kind of gives us some information about it. He says this, But wisdom from above is first what? Pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. 
This is a beautiful picture of what godly wisdom is. I wish we had enough time where we could kind of look at each one of these one by one by one as if we were doing a Bible study in these. But I just want to highlight two of them for you. And one is pure. That first one's really important because it kind of sets the tone for the ones that are to follow. One commentator, he says this, his term pure speaks of holiness and provides the immediate contrast to every evil practice. Another one says this, from the inner quality, sorry, from this inner quality flow the outward manifestations given in the rest of the verse. And so what they're saying is that this one quality of pure or holy is really important because everything else flows from that or is dependent on that. Godly wisdom is first concerned about holiness. It desires that which is good and right and true and about expressing that. The second one that I want to look at briefly is the one that says full of mercy and good fruits. We've already said that godly wisdom is productive. It produces something in our lives. We should see that, that change in us. And James, what he does here is he reiterates that. He reiterates excuse me, that godly wisdom is full of what? Acts of mercy. Hopefully acts of mercy that we as a UMT team will express this week. Whether it's something like helping paint a widow's house or helping a single mom. Or maybe it's having a community day. Expressing just the mercy by having a fun activity that the neighborhood can enjoy, that the kids can come and play in a safe atmosphere where they can learn about God and they can see godly wisdom portrayed in people. They can have some hot dogs and watermelon and all those kinds of things. Full of mercy and good fruits. Let me read to you one more quote. The first three of these traits are terms that James uses only here in his letter. They describe people who can yield status, who care for others, and who are willing to submit and learn from others, all in contrast to bitterness, the bitterness, envy, and selfish ambition of false spirituality. The remaining traits weave some of James's earlier instruction into this picture. We talked about how these are opposites of one another, right? He is clearly making contrast between godly wisdom and human wisdom and the fruits in which each of those produce. It's not just semantics. It's very much so differently, fundamentally at the core. These two things are different. The kingdom way, the gospel way that James presents throughout his book is opposite from the world's. You know, if you've been here with us in New City, we've been talking about the upside down kingdom, how God takes that, that uh, kingdom structure and turns it upside down. He takes the world in which kind of it looks like an upward triangle and he flips it upside down. The greatest among you will be what? A servant. The first will be what? The last. And he continues on here in the scriptures that his kingdom is very, very different from the world's. Maybe just a few application questions I want to give you guys as you think about trying to discern between godly wisdom and human wisdom. Maybe this week you will be faced with a decision and you're hearing all different voices from people all around you saying, hey, you should do this, or you should do this, or even from your own heart, you should do this. Well, how do we discern whether this is godly wisdom or human wisdom? Here are a few questions that maybe will help. Does it promote or elevate holiness and purity? That first character trait, does it promote holiness? Secondly, 
Does it result in acts of mercy to those in need? Again, look at the fruit that it's producing. Is it helping your neighbor? Is it sacrificing so that someone else can have something they are in need of? Is it reaching out to those who are needy, who are marginalized, who need a meal or assistance of any kind? Thirdly, does this piece of wisdom make much of God or of man? And I think it's an important one. Um, One of the pastors that I was listening to about this, um, I believe, he just points this out. Where is this wisdom's boast? Where is it bragging? That's what will tell you whether it's human wisdom or godly wisdom. Is it bragging in man and man's ways? Or is it bragging in God and his ways? These are things that can help us to remember how to discern between godly wisdom and human wisdom. But James, he's not just concerned with us discerning those two things, but what? He's primarily concerned with us demonstrating it, showing it to the world. And we see this again in our closing verse, in verse 18, in our third point, uh, we're going to look at godly wisdom's fruit. All right, so godly wisdom's fruit, our third point, if you're taking notes. And just like worldly wisdom, it produces a certain deadly and dangerous fruit that harms us in our lives, that makes things hard and difficult, and that hurts us and those that we love the most. Just like it's productive in that way, James turns our attention to how godly wisdom is productive in the opposite way. Verse 18 says this, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Excuse me. Here James uses kind of an agricultural or farming illustration. And uh, I like the vegetable garden. It's something that I got into right after college. I uh, started with just one pot, and I think it was four uh, cucumber seeds. And I grew my first um, cucumber, my first vegetable that my sister gave me. And I planted those, and and it carried around with me until it produced what? Cucumbers. And I got to eat those cucumbers, and I was real proud of myself for being able to to produce those things in some kind of way. At least I kept it alive. But every gardener knows this. There are a few basic gardening tips or, or kind of a few basic things that we need to know for gardening. The one is we need a gardener, right? We need a planter or a farmer. The other thing that we need is a seed or or multiple seeds. The third thing is what? The soil. We need soil. And fourth, there is actually the fruit or the vegetable that comes from all those things combined together. And so here in the illustration, it's the same thing is true here. The farmer is who? The peacemakers. The planter is the peacemakers. Makers, those who make themselves about the ways of God's peace. And what is the soil? The atmosphere in which that seed is planted. Again, it is an atmosphere of peace. Not of hostility, not of disorder, not of chaos, but of peace. The seed here is the seed of the peacemaker, and the fruit, the end result, is what? It says here in the text, the harvest of righteousness. A harvest of righteousness. One of the commentators, he says this, a crop of righteousness cannot be produced in the climate of bitterness and self-seeking. Righteousness will only grow in a climate of peace. Righteousness will only grow in a climate of peace. 
And so what James does here is he connects peace and righteousness to godly wisdom. But how does he make this connection? Why does he elevate that again at the very end of this? Remember, we've been talking about godly wisdom being productive. It produces something. And also that there's a contrast between these two ways of wisdom. And so I see two important connections that I just want to bring out to you real quick. The one, um, a guy named uh, Pastor Doriani, he helped me with this. He said, godly, essentially, godly wisdom produces peace or this climate of peace in which it's being talked about. And that climate is where righteousness can then be produced. And secondly, godly wisdom is pure. It is righteous and it is holy and peaceable in its very nature. And it produces a way in which, or an atmosphere where that seed can grow, right? Just like that seed, that cucumber seed had to have all the right conditions of water and soil and heat. Well, when it's sown in an atmosphere of peace, it can grow and produce the fruit of righteousness. And yet also it is very righteousness in its nature. So let's think about our own lives. Are we peacemakers? Are we those who seek and to help promote a climate of peace in our church, in our families, in which righteousness can grow? Or are we those that want to be about um, dissension and strife, quarreling, choking out that climate of peace, and rather having a climate of self? That's really questions for us to wrestle through and think about. Which one are we trying to promote? Which one is showing up in our lives? Are we trying to choke out that seed? that's trying to grow up and produce righteousness in us? Or is the atmosphere that we produce as a church one of peace, one of godliness, one of holiness in which righteousness can flourish and grow and multiply into our city, into our families, into our lives? Now, as we close, the honest truth is that wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, we all need wisdom. We all need God's wisdom, whether it's in our jobs or whether it's decisions that we're facing in school or whether it's things that are going on and raising our kids. Or maybe it's the major and minor decisions that a church or the leadership of a church will make. Whatever it may be that you are facing this morning, we need God's wisdom. And as James taught, we must not only have his wisdom, but we must show it to those around us in the way that we live our lives. You know, sometimes we get to the end of a sermon and we're tired and, and we're trying to pay attention and things are kind of hazy. And so to kind of give us just a, a little bit of simplification, I want to read to you guys a verse that as I was studying this week, I think is a good starting point. How do we kind of go away from here, go on to lunch and go on to home and do our our normal lives? How do we go on from here? And it's from our brother James. In chapter 1, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, verse 5. And it says this, If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So maybe you're saying, Pastor Pete, where do I go? What do I do? How do I leave this sermon and go into my normal life? or to the messiness in which is going on right now in my family situation? How am I going to have that wisdom from above? And the first answer is pray for it. Ask for it. Your Heavenly Father is ready to give it to you if you would ask for it. 
And that's, I know that's where my heart is, just coming to God, I need your wisdom. So much is going on in my life, and it will always be going on in my life. It's not just a season in which I need God's wisdom. I need it always. God, would you give it to us? After all, God so graciously he gave us his one and only son, Jesus, who was the only perfectly wise man to ever walk the planet, who was even wiser than Solomon, even in all of his prime, who always displayed and showed to the world perfect wisdom, the perfect wisdom of God applied in every situation possible, who not only is our example and model, but the one who is perfectly wise on our behalf, even when we mess it up and we botch those decisions, we follow the world's way of wisdom. He was the only one who would perfectly apply the wisdom of God, being the wisdom of God. And as I close, I want to read and pray a prayer that uh, talks about Jesus and his wisdom being the perfect wisdom of God. And so please pray with me as we end today. Father, we say with the psalmist, such knowledge is too wonderful for us. It is too high. We cannot attain it. We stand in awe of your infinite knowledge and wisdom. We are filled with questions, but you are filled with answers. There are no mysteries for you. There are no facts you do not know, no problems you cannot solve, no events you cannot explain, Lord, no hypocrisy through which you do not see. Oh God, grant us to see and feel that your all-knowing mind, together with your power and grace, makes you utterly trustworthy. Your counsel takes everything into account, including the past and the future. Your good plan will never be altered. Owing to unforeseen events, we can count on you, God. And as we do, Father, share with us, we pray, enough of your great wisdom and enough of your great knowledge that we may live and love and finally die in a way that brings life to others, satisfies our souls, and above all, honors you, God. The lips of the wise are a fountain of life. And oh, how we long to bring life to the perishing of our city. Grant us your wisdom in the measure we can bear. And God, we pray this powerfully in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Peter Eck, Assistant Pastor at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santa Verifola. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.